Asia Pacific Currents. News and labor issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight these greedy capitalists. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome back to Asia Pacific Currents for 2019, our first show of the year. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow. And Giselle, see how happy you are to be here and you almost didn't make it for、I'm、the first program. I'm just grateful that I have the listeners back, Pierre.、Yeah. It is certainly not your company that I've been looking forward to. Oh, don't worry, listeners. There'll be another complaint form going into 3CR for this on air bullying、um, and harassment and defamation, libel, and whatever. You know, I get, I get it'll never at, hold, it'll never hold. I get better and better at all these legal parlance, but、um, because of your continuing <laughs> engagement with the state forces, is Poss- that what you mean? Possibly,、Pierre? very possibly, dear Giselle. That's right, you learn the tricks of the trade. <laughs> Um, now, Giselle, yes, we are back with Asia Pacific Currents for another year. I forget how many years we've been on, on air, both、uh, personally. Since 83. That's right. So, lots of years, lots of years. And、uh, the unique show that brings you the、uh, labor news from the Asia Pacific Currents. And、um, anyway, we had a good break. So, we had, I think, six br- weeks' breaks. Not too sure what was here before holding out the fort, but thanks, whoever it was. Uh, I'm sure you didn't do as good a job as us, but still,、um, you probably tried very hard, and that's the really important that's thing. That's the important thing to our、uh, 3CR colleagues that we're just having a go at radio over the summer programming period. That's right, that's right. But、um, anyway, and who's obviously brings you this program,、uh, Giselle? That's right. Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. You can also email us at aawl at aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so find us on those social media platforms for more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. That's right. And we can say that our, our website is slowly almost、uh, getting there. It's been a long process. Process, but sometime early this year it will be up and running. The dangers of creating a website by committee process. That's right, that's right.、Um, and of course,、um, the usual roundup for the people,、um, obviously, who are the regulars will know exactly how we do the, the show. But、uh, for anyone who is、uh, new, we usually do a bit of a news roundup at the start, and then we have an、um, interview in the second half of the year. And who do we have as the first one for 2019, Giselle? We're going to speak to Marie Kionis, one of the organisers of the Invasion Day rally that happened on the 26th of January. Um, of course, many of you were probably participants in that rally or even marshals or organisers. But we're going to talk about the ongoing campaign for change the date or abolish the date, but also the broader demands of the Aboriginal struggle here in Australia. And of course, Giselle, we've got lots of、uh, international listeners, so they couldn't have got involved. But anyway, we'll go straight to our labour updates from the region. 
And we start in India where we've got a bit of a, a very sad uh, story, unfortunately, to start off the year. They're on um, the 24th of January. A building under construction in the Gurgan region, uh, which is just outside New Delhi, the capital of India, um, collapsed, totally collapsed, killing seven workers who um, were inside the building at the time of the collapse. Now, um, the workers were constructing the fourth floor of this of this uh, planned four-story building. Now, because the building was being constructed on uh, designated agricultural land, it fell outside municipal bylaws, and therefore the building had no planning or engineering permit at all. Um, it is believed that due to the cold winter conditions, the cement had not sat properly and collapsed as the workers were adding the fourth floor. Unfortunately, due to lax regulations and enforcement, there are many other similar illegal buildings being put up. With the owner of this building already wanted by authorities over the collapse of another uh, building nearby, which was also under construction. So... Um, Really quite terrible case of lax laws and enforcements. Well, we've got also more tragedy in the shipbreaking industry, which we've been reporting on for actually, you know, the last five years. According to recently released data, almost 750 large ocean-going commercial vessels were sold to the scrapyards last year by big shipping companies. Of these vessels, over 500 were broken down on the tidal mudflats in Bangladesh, India and Pakistan, amounting to a record-breaking 90.4% of the gross tonnage dismantled globally. As previously reported, the working conditions at these workplaces is is shocking with many deaths, illnesses due to exposure to toxins and with the local coastal ecosystems devastated. Of the cases that were recorded, at least 34 workers lost their lives when breaking apart these ships in 2018. At least 14 workers died in the Indian shipyards of Alang. Another 20 workers died and 12 workers were severely injured in the Bangladeshi yards. While in Pakistan, local sources confirmed one death and 27 injuries. Seven injuries were linked to yet another fire that broke out on board a beached tanker. Of course, when these figures are amalgamated in a report like this, it is starkly shocking. But we also know anecdotally and from our comrades in the regions that the deaths and the injuries far exceed the numbers reported. That's right, and uh, and obviously there have been great struggles there to try and um, improve working conditions, but the repression is also um, very um, fierce. We go, um, uh, I was going to say next door, but we did talk about the Bangladesh. So we go to Bangladesh where during December, uh, I last month, oh no, it's actually not last month because we're in February now, um, um, in December 2018, thousands of garment workers took, took to the streets in the capital, Dhaka, in protest against the implementation of a wage revision, a wage uh, increment, that did not significantly raise the starvation wages that many of the workers receive. This long-awaited minimum wage uh, increase came after a lengthy, highly problematic process which lacked adequate representation of workers' voices. It fell far short of any credible calculation of a living wage. In response, tens of thousands of workers went on strike and organised massive protests. These, unfortunately, were met with police violence, uh, with one worker being killed and um, scores of others injured. 
The repression has continued over the last few weeks with over a thousand workers dismissed for participating in these protests and in addition, dozens of workers, uh, including union representatives, have been arresting have been arrested and are, fa- are facing trumped-up charges that could lead to lengthy prison sentences, including life imprisonment. This repression is on top of the many charges against worker representatives that are still pending since the 2016-2017 protests for higher wages. So Giselle, it's just really an um, incremental, ongoing um, disaster, really. Well- it sounds like much of the news we're reporting this morning is just a continuation of the exploits and devastation of capitalism, but most importantly, the insanity and lack of planning involved in a capitalist economy. Uh I'm going to a story now from South Korea from Samsung, which we've been following and tracking for a long time. And although our comrades at Sharps had managed to strike a very significant deal and compensation package, obviously the deaths continue. So today I report on a 31-year-old researcher identified only by his surname Huang, who died on the 29th of January, about 13 months after his diagnosis with leukaemia. Huang, in May 2014, upon earning a graduate degree in chemistry, took a job at Samsung, assisting in developing um, materials for semi etch materials for semiconductor processing. In December 2017, he was diagnosed with acute leukemia. Just as with many Samsung victims before him, Huang was outfitted on the job with little protective gear. He kept a diary of his work and his notes recount. Uh, his level of on-the-job chemical exposure. He said he was responsible for assessing mixtures of aromatic polymers such as benzene and naphthalene. He said he had to use his hands to douse wafers with photosensitive liquids. Um, when the liquids vaporised and spread to the one-metre radius of his working station, the residues, residues were so rampant that the area turned red. And then he coated semiconductor substrates with photoresistors, um, uh, which produced massive odours that penetrated the mask um, and and got into his um, respiratory system. While a compensation agreement was reached last year with Samsung on the issue of OHS deaths and injuries, Samsung, uh, so another subsidiary of Samsung, is a separate ent- entity and isn't covered by this particular agreement. Um, and it only the agreement only focused on semiconductor and LCD units. Nevertheless, as with the rest of the Samsung conglomerate, Samsung SDI also has a brutal history of union repression. What can one say? What can one say? Um, Our last uh, item is also in South Korea, but this is slightly, um, it's both sad, but also gives uh, insight into the the power of our class. Um, um, On the... um, on the night of uh, December 11 last year, Kim Jong-un, a 24-year-old subcontracted worker, was killed at a thermal power plant in Tian, 150 kilometres southwest of Seoul. Jung-un died after being sucked into a coal conveyor belt that decapitated him. Only four months into his temporary job, Young Yun was not trained or supervised to handle the belt that ran at a speed of 16 feet per second. He was actually the 15th worker to die at the Tian Thermal Plant in the last nine years. 
all these uh, workers killed were temporary workers. According to um, health and safety regulation, Yongyan should have been working in a team of two, but continual cost-cutting following the outsource of power plant fuel operations and maintenance has meant that this work is now done as a single person. This death has sparked a national movement in Korea against the outsourcing of danger endemic throughout the Korean economy with rallies and demonstrations involving tens of thousands of workers occurring all over South Korea since mid-December. And I um, encourage listeners to go to the uh, Facebook page of the Korean Confederation of Trade Unions to see some of the images and some of the commentary on these issues because um, they, it certainly has sparked, again, a, a um, weekly pro- protest. Uh, it's really seemed to um, have been like the, the drop that has uh, overfilled the, the glass and um, uh, hopefully the, the movement will keep going and the, and the power of the workers uh, can actually uh, strike back against outsourcing, which is a, which is a real um, issue for workers all around the world. But um, that's all the time that we've got um, for for the news um, roundup. It's uh, just on 13 past 9 o'clock here on uh, 3CR Radio, your favourite community radio station. And you're listening to Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Workerlink. We'll go to a community um, announcement and then we'll be back with our interview with Mariki Onus about um, Invasion Day. Transitions Film Festival returns to Cinema Nova this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about what it means to be human. Featuring local and international documentaries, the festival covers social and technological innovations, big ideas and changemakers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, food revolutions, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival, February the 21st to March the 8th at Cinema Nova. Tickets from transitionsfilmfestival.com. A 3CR supporter. Three CR Community Radio, 855 AM. It is 15 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. Our next guest is Marie Kionis. She was one of the organisers of the Invasion Day demonstration on the 26th of January and one of the founding members of the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. Welcome, Marie. Hi, thanks, Giselle. You're very welcome. Um, we the Invasion Day rally this year was reported to be the biggest ever. Congratulations on that effort. Why do you think it was so big this year? I think we've like started to work with. Well, obviously the conversation is heating up, and media are taking it on a little bit more, and people are a little bit more interested in the issue, basically. But we've started to form. Um, relationships with other organising groups within Melbourne. Um, so that I think that may have affected numbers a bit too. The When you talk about the issues having more traction, there is one particular issue that has managed to get uh, a lot of space in the mainstream media, this idea of changing the date of Australia Day. Now, I know that wasn't a primary demand of the rally, 
firstly, what's your view on that? And secondly, why do you think the mainstream media has really picked up on it? I'm not sure why the mainstream media... Oh, I mean, uh, it's been around for a little bit, but I think I think it came out of reconciliation. I mean, I've heard whispers that it came from a, um, from a far-right group. I don't know what we're trying to figure out, but it didn't... The point is it didn't really come from... It didn't come from... Um, Aboriginal people, like, why would we ask for, of all the issues that we've got dealing with, why would we, why would we care what day Australia Day is celebrated on? I mean, people, there is the argument that people say that, um, that historically that day is really, you know, hurtful. But to be honest, there's not a day that colonial violence hasn't happened in Australia. So why would we focus on one day? Um, so it's just weird. I, I, I can't make arguments around it. And I find myself catering to um, the oppressor's p- perspective when I go in, when we're talking about change of date. But why would I, why would we care what day Shirley Day celebrated? We're not even part of the country. We overwhelmed the, the prison system. You know, I've got, we've got, big, we've got much more important things to worry about than changing the date of Australia Day. Well, so our call was to abolish Australia Day. Um, yeah, because if you really wanted to ask, if you really thought about it, without the elements of white and settler fragility, um, what do we really think about that? We don't care about it. We're not included in it. So just get rid of it. Let's think about a day that we can... We should work... Firstly, should be working for a day that we can celebrate because we have nothing to celebrate. Um... And then go from there. Well, you, uh, you've you led me to um, the next lot of questions I wanted to ask you, which are, if not this, and, you know, I, I happen to agree with your arguments about um, change the date. I mean, what does change the date even mean when uh, Australia was founded on the blood and death and genocide of Aboriginal people? Absolutely. And people are celebrating that genocide and dispossession of every other day. So what is the legacy, though, of this colonialism and this genocide? You've already talked about the um, overwhelming and disproportionate representation of Aboriginal people in prison um, compared to the the um, proportion of Aboriginal people in the rest of the population. So I think there are, we're currently sitting at 22 to 25% of people in prison are Aboriginal. So, I mean... Let's talk about that. What does it actually mean that there are so many people in prison? What does it mean for the ongoing project of genocide? Well, I mean, yeah, that's twenty-two percent. We're only we're you know we're less than two percent of Australia. So those na- those stats are quite alarming. But around Australia, there are different. They are they they are vastly different. Like, for example. In the Northern Territory, 100% of the kids in detention is 100 are Aboriginal, so um, things aren't really looking good. And what that means is, it's not about prisons, and it's not just about policing, and it's not that's not just you know our incarcerate incarceration rates are not about just that. When somebody lands in prison, that is a that's evidence of a broken system from birth. Well, that's evidence from system violence from birth. So every system that that person, regardless of who they are, 
has been in contact with from birth is likely to have experienced violence or that system has never worked for them, whether it be the education system, health system or whatever. So if you look at our incarceration rate, you can say pretty confidently that the Australian system is not working. And, maybe, and there's arguments to say that it's working really well and it was designed that way. Actually, I'm more inclined to agree with that because they know that. We've had a Royal Commission. We've tried to sort it out. They're not listening. They know when they make laws that disproportionately affect Aboriginal people to increase our incarceration rates. They actually know. So what, the idea that this is just about education, they just don't know better. I don't really buy that. I think they do know better. They've, had, they've got access to the best information in the world, but they're just not listening to us. So we, you know, our, we want our people out of the prison. We think that uh, the only time you can ever celebrate this country is on the, on the destruction of the prison industrial complex. And so that prison industrial complex is exactly what I was talking about when I was talking about it's not just about the justice system. It's the whole Australian colonial system formed on genocide and dispossession that continues to harm and abuse and kill our people still to this day. Well, earlier in this conversation, Mariki, you said that this year um, the warriors of the Aboriginal resistance made huge efforts to engage with and bring in other um, organisations, other community groups that are really supportive of your demands. I guess the challenge now is maintaining the engagement of these groups for these demands around prison, prison abolition. Um, yeah. So where do you see that going? Where do you see that leading and what are your organising efforts looking like? So this year also that we've done something quite different um, is we're building an email list um, on invasionday.org and we'll be already talking to people who already are engaged and have actively signed up to um, what we're doing and we'll be there's going to be a lot of other community organizing done within um, within our groups we're not sure what that will look like yet um, we've always we're always organizing in communities and doing a lot of things like we and, and we make no apology we work with Aboriginal community for Aboriginal community it's obviously not exclusively as much anymore, but that's where our work is focused. So we're um, working with grandmothers against their people. Um, I'm assisting grandmothers that are on the front line and the coalface fighting the system to have their children with them. Um, we're assisting the, and fighting with the, the, um, the Day family um, in abolishing public drunkenness law. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but the... Why don't the you tell us, tell us a little bit about the um, the demand around the abolition of the public drunken, drunkenness laws, actually right across Australia, and I know that this is a recommendation from the Aboriginal Deaths in Custody uh, Royal Commission, um, but let's talk about the circumstances around Ms Day. Sure. So in 2017... Um, Tanya Day was travelling from Castlemaine, no, travelling from Echuca, I think, to Melbourne. And in Castlemaine, she'd fallen asleep on the chair in a train, in a, in a seat, 
um, the V-line officers called the police and then within hours, Tanya Day had had, hen- had sustained serious head in- injuries and died, I think, 70, 17 days later. Um, now, I think Australia and I think it's Queensland, I can't remember the other states, are the only two states that still have public drunkenness law. That was a strong recommendation. To, to abolish the law was a very strong recommendation in the Royal Commission into Black Deaths in Custody. That hasn't been implemented. Tanya Day is not the first person in her family to die from being incarcerated from that public drunkenness law, which is you know, absolutely devastating. Um, so we worked with the Day family. And April Day, Tanya's daughter, helped us organise this year. And one of the de- demands were to abolish public drunkenness. And this law is a particularly racist law because it is largely exercised against Aboriginal people. So if you go to Brunswick Street and walk along there at 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday night, you will see thousands of drunk people um, in public. But this is only exercised to use extra police. It's only exercised for police to use extra powers over Aboriginal people, generally. Um, so we're calling for this law to be... Um, we've started a petition to go to Parliament to have this law to be abolished and to implement um, a health-centred approach to people that have passed out in public or whatever um, to prevent future deaths down the track. We certainly um, agree with with, with those uh, sentiments, Marie Um And um, one question about the Invasion Day um, rallies, especially for some of our interstate or international listeners, is that, of course, it wasn't just in Melbourne that we had this huge rally. There were huge rallies all around Australia, especially in the capital cities for Invasion Day. Um, can you just sort of tell us what kind of coordination and links do you have with the other groups uh, around Australia around the Invasion Day protest and messages? So we, um, we're very unique. Uh, not sorry, we're very... Uh, Aboriginal people in Australia are very diverse. So there were many different ways that people um, went about their business on that day. So, for example, we've got very strong links and ties. Brisbane, there's war up there. Um, we know a lot of people up there all came out of, where the Aboriginal resistance came out of Brisbane. Um, and so, yeah, we've got very strong connections up there and we always help each other organise, use the flyer, um, we share resources and whatever. And we share resources with other groups around the country too. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, Sydney had a big turnout. I, I can't remember how many they got. I don't really know. The numbers seem a bit of, of a funny game to get into. Um and I'm not sure how it works for and against us. So I don't know if there were 80 deaths, but people are saying that in Melbourne. Um, but, yeah, one of the things, there were a few points that I, I think that deserve a special mention, that Tasmania got 4,000 people come out and marched. I mean, that's it's funny. amazing, isn't it? I didn't know yeah. there were 4,000 people that lived in Tasmania. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it was, I watched the video from the march, and everyone was just, they had the best chance. So it was a really strong march and it just made, you know, it's really nice to know that everybody else is kind of on the same wavelength, wavelength as us. Um, 
but yeah, there were actions actually in Berlin and in and London as well. There's a a really cool little solidarity group in London. I uh, know in Berlin that do um, some work there. I think Roxy Foley spent a lot of time there, and so they're really quite clued on on all the stuff that's happening here. And I think it's really important to see for Australians to see that you don't have to be Aboriginal to be against dispossession and genocide and colonialism and it doesn't have to be tied to who you are and so I think that was a really good and, and it's really important for Aboriginal people to see as well it's not necessarily about the identity the, right. ma- the major part of our identity is that we, we because we're Aboriginal we're likely to be impacted by colonialism the most so it has to be anti-colonial but in my view have to be centred around the experiences of Aboriginal people and Aboriginal sovereignty. Well, but Mar- you can be anyone. Mariki, we're just about out of time, but I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. And also let's advertise that um, website that people, listeners can go to and put their email addresses so that they can stay in touch with the campaign. Is it, it is invasionday.org? Yes, and also get to, if you can, and you're in Preston, go to the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service and sign the petition for Tanya Day. You can even grab a petition and get your community group to sign, but you have to get it back to the Victorian Aboriginal... Sorry, the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service by the end of the month. Excellent. And you can contact us and ask us more about that. Mariki, thank you so much. Thank you very much. And we wish you all the best. Cheers. Bye. Bye. That was Mariki Onus, one of the organisers of the um, Invasion Day Rally and one of the founding members of the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. That website again is invasionday.org. Get your email address up there and get to the Aboriginal Health Service um, and sign on to that petition. But we are well and truly out of time for our first show of 2019. That's right, that Giselle, and uh, well, we've got to get into the into the habit. So sorry to um, the programs afterwards; we are late, but uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs> Have a great day. You've been listening to Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links. My name is Pierre Morrow, and I'm Giselle Hannah. And stay tuned to Three CR Anti Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a Three CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station Three CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.